Our lesson is in the 6th chapter, but open it to the 4th chapter, verse 1, where we started. And I'll kind of bring everyone up to date on what we've studied. The first three chapters, of course, have to do with the doctrinal things of the book of Ephesians. And the last three chapters have to do with conduct and duty. And we titled our lessons from chapter 4 on through chapter 6 as the Christian walk. And we've already covered the thought of the Christian is to walk in uh, worthy. And that's four uh, one that you walk worthy of the vocation wherewith you're called. And we discussed that. And the walk worthy walk is uh, walking in preserving unity under that heading. And then the Christian walk promotes usefulness. And then the second point of our message from chapter 417, 17 says, walk not as other Gentiles walk. So we talked about walking consistently. We're not to walk like the Gentile world. And the consistent walk is in separation and consistent walk is in love and it's in light. And that takes us down to chapter 5, verse 14. And then the last lesson we had was 515 through 69. And it was a Christian is to walk carefully. And so 5 verse 15 says, See then that you walk circumspectly, not as fools, but as wise. That, that word circumspectly indicates a careful walk. And we talked about the careful walk was being a walk that is wise and sound. And uh, it was also a, a in submission, submissiveness. And it shows the... Uh, relationship of husband and wife and parent and child and then servants and masters down to 6th chapter, verse 5 through 9. So tonight, the last section and lesson of this uh, book has to do with the Christian is to walk courageously. In fact, it ceases to be just a walk. It becomes a warfare. So we pick up with chapter 6, verse 10, if you will. So Paul says, Finally, my brethren... Be strong in the Lord and in the power of His might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. For we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this world, against spiritual wickedness in high places. Wherefore, take unto you the whole armor of God, that you may be able to withstand in the evil day, and having done all to stand. Stand therefore, having your loins girt about with truth, and having on the breastplate of righteousness, and your feet shod with the preparation of the gospel of peace. Above all, taking the shield of faith, wherewith you shall be able to quench all the fiery darts of the wicked. And take the helmet of salvation, and the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God, Praying always with all prayer and supplication in the Spirit, and watching thereunto with all perseverance and supplication for all saints. And for me, that utterance may be given unto me, that I may open my mouth boldly to make known the mystery of the gospel, for which, for which I am an ambassador in bonds, that therein I may speak boldly as I ought to speak, but that ye also may know my affairs and how I do Tychicus, a beloved brother and a faithful minister in the Lord, shall make known to you all thing, to you all things, whom I have sent unto you for the same purpose, that you might know our affairs and that you might comfort your hearts. Peace be to the brethren and love with faith from God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Grace be with all them that love our Lord Jesus Christ in sincerity. Amen. So as we pick up with this uh, tenth verse in this sixth chapter. We're going to see that the Christian is to walk 
courageously. So he's actually to war. Uh, we have much of the Christians walk in what we've seen before. And it has not to do with the warfare especially. But now let us notice that his walk is also a warfare. Because it says put on the whole armor of God. We had conduct in the previous thoughts. And now here we have conflict. Here there's a continual warfare urged against or waged against the children of God. And we're to be able to, to combat it. And in these last two thoughts of the courageous warfare that we're to, to war, we find two things I want to give you. The encounter, who we encounter, and the equipment that we're used to use in the battle. The encounter. We're not only saved, as we saw in the earlier part of the book, saved by grace. In fact, Ephesians 1.7 says, In whom we have redemption through His blood, the forgiveness of sins according to the riches of His grace. And then we find that we were called on to be servants, walk worthy of the vocation wherewith you're called as a servant. We gave you that in one. But we're also soldiers. So we're saved and we're servants, but we're also soldiers. Someone's kind of... You know, there's a lot of people that uh, do not like to get into the thought of the Christian being a soldier or a warrior. And yet, that's exactly what Paul says we are. He told Timothy, he says, Endure hardness as a good soldier what? of Jesus Christ. Remember, I believe you find that in Second Timothy. Let me see if I can find it for you. Endure hardness as a good soldier of Jesus Christ. Maybe it's First Timothy chapter 2. First Timothy chapter 2. No, it's Second Timothy chapter 2. Maybe. If I can find it. It says, Endure hardness, yeah. You know, Second Timothy chapter 2. In verse 3, thou, thou therefore endure hardness as a good soldier of Jesus Christ. Then he talks about the warfare. No man that warreth entangleth himself with the affairs of this life, that he may please him who hath chosen him to be a soldier. So, if you're chosen to be in the warfare, and the Lord Himself has chosen us for that purpose, then we have to realize what's necessary in order for us to fulfill that uh, position that we're called into. So we're not only saved and servants, but we're called to be soldiers. Now the encounter that we run up against is against Satan. If you notice the passage we read in the 6th chapter, verse 12, it says, For we wrestle not against flesh and blood, if it's against man, muscle and muscle, or, or men against men, or a carnal army in warfare. He says that's one thing. But against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this world, against spiritual wickedness in high places, now, if we cannot see that in our day and hour, that's the kind of warfare we're in, I think we're blinded to the, to the reality of it, aren't we? We're in a spiritual warfare against uh, wickedness in the rulers of the darkness of this world. Not only principalities and powers, which speaking of demons and their uh, influence and in, uh, that they have a right to the heavenlies against spiritual wickedness in high places. The word there is heavenly places. You know, the devil still has access to the heavenlies. One of these days, that access is going to be cut off. Remember Job in Job's day? He came and accused Job before God. And uh, there was a great battle going on for Job. And uh, the Bible tells us, and we'll get to it in a little bit, that the day of his accusations will cease. But we'll just point out some things that, that he does that we're not ignorant of. So our warfare, the encounters against the devil and all of his emissaries. 
the devil and all of his demons against even men upon this earth that are uh, being used by Satan to promote the things, the immorality and the things that they're doing around our nation as well as around the world. Not only the terror attacks that come our way, but we're talking about inwardly in our own country. Demons are heavy at work. Spiritual wickedness, the rulers of the darkness of this world at, are at work in our nation today. Gradually and gradually, the devil's trying to get a foothold in every uh, home, in every life, in every church, in every thing that goes on in the, in the whole country, whether it be in our local government or the state or the national. He's trying to get a foothold. He got a pretty good hold. He got his foot in the door, hadn't he? And if we don't stop it, it's going to get worse. So it's up to you and I to realize the encounter that we're up against. Let's talk about some things. that I'll give you several references. This is just a study. It's not meant to be an inspirational sermon or anything like that, uh, unless I get started preaching. And uh, then, anyway, look at 2 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 11. We find that we're not ignorant of his devices. 2 Corinthians 2, verse 11, it says this, Lest Satan should get an advantage of us, for we are not ignorant of his devices. Satan has many ways to try to win the victory over us. And there's one day we're going to find that his, one of his devices is to accuse the brethren. He wants to accuse you and I, and he's in that business now. But you know, the Bible says in Romans chapter 8, Who is he that condemneth? Say the Satan tries to condemn you. He's, the Bible says it is Christ that died. Well, now, if Christ died for our sins and He doesn't condemn us, certainly He doesn't because He loved us enough to die on the cross to, to, for our salvation and to shed His blood. And by the way, it demanded the complete death of Jesus on the cross. Don't get carried away with this movie. It's all of Hollywood anyway. But uh, the thing about it is, he, there was a statement made that it wasn't necessary for Jesus to die. He could have just pricked his finger and one drop of blood would have saved the whole world. Not according to the Scripture, because in the Old Testament it's necessary for every sacrifice to die. And Jesus fulfilled all the types and shadows of the Old Testament, and it was necessary for Him to die on the cross in order to redeem us to God. And He presented Himself a sacrifice to God for us in love and voluntary sacrifice that He, he gave. But anyway... The Bible says here, we're not ignorant of his devices, so we shouldn't be fooled by a lot of things that are going on in the world today. And by the way, if you've seen any excerpts from that uh, Passion of Christ on the television, there's enough there to tell you, not to, certainly not to take your children. They'll have nightmares from now on. In fact, I don't want to see it because I don't want those things in my mind. Did you know the devil plays with your mind and he's got a battle for your mind and that's one way he can win it? Is putting bad images in your mind. Bad images. You cannot go to your computer of your mind and delete it like you can on a, on a computer and get rid of it. It's there. And it'll be there till the day of your death. And that's why some children that have seen bad things in their life from five years old on up or maybe even younger or older, 10, 12 or whatever... They can't get rid of those thoughts. And later on, it causes a lot of trouble. I can still remember things that I went through and that I saw when I was a, a child and a teenager and a young man that still trouble my mind. Because if you get with the wrong crowd and you hear wrong things and you see wrong things, the first thing you know, that's stamped indelibly upon your mind. 
And it's going to affect you the rest of your life one way or another. There'll be times when you can get, get it out of the way, but there are other times that the recall will come back. See, you, you've got a better computer up here than they make. And it'll stay there. And the thing about it is, in one sense, it's not better because we cannot get rid of things like you can on, you know, you can erase the hard drive on some of these computers and you don't have anything, but you can't do that with your mind. So in some ways, they do have a better advantage in that. So what we're saying is that Satan is the... And by the way, he's the accuser of the brethren. We cannot face him in our own strength. That's why uh, in uh, our text it says, uh, put on the whole armor of God in 6 verse 10. Be strong in the Lord and the power of his might and put on the whole armor of God, verse 11. Because we need that to stand against Satan because he is the accuser of the brethren. Look in Revelation chapter 12 and verse... Well, we'll read verse 9 and 10. Verse 10 is the main verse. But look in Revelation chapter 12. In verse 9, it says, And the great dragon was cast out, that old serpent, which is called, uh, that old serpent called the devil and Satan, which deceiveth the whole world. He was cast out into the earth, and his angels were cast out with him. And I heard a loud voice saying in heaven, Now has come salvation and strength in the kingdom of our God and the power of his Christ. For the accuser of our brethren is cast down, which accused them before our God day and night. Do you think he's not busy? That's the encounter we're up against. And we cannot face him in our own strength. Look at Second uh, Corinthians 11, verse 2 and 3, and we'll find that he beguiles young believers. Second Corinthians 11, if you will, verse 2 and 3. Notice what it says here. For I am jealous over you with godly jealousy, Paul says to the Corinthian church. For I have espoused you unto one husband, that I may present you as a chaste virgin, to Christ. Now look. But I fear. Paul says, but I fear lest by any means as the serpent beguiled Eve through his subtlety. So your minds. Look. Who's the devil fighting for? And what's he fighting for? Your mind. So your mind should be corrupted from the simplicity that is in Christ. He corrupts the minds of young believers from the simplicity. He beguiles young believers. And he also transforms himself. Hold that place in Second Corinthians 11. And we'll see how he transforms himself into an angel of light. Look at verse 13. For such are false apostles, deceitful workers, transforming themselves into the apostles of Christ. There were a lot of imitators of the apostles in in Paul's day. And it says, and no marvel, look, verse 14. And no marvel, for Satan himself is transformed into an angel of light. Therefore, it is no great thing if his ministers also be transformed as ministers of righteousness, whose end shall be according to their works. He says, if Satan transforms himself into an angel of light, it's no great thing if his ministers transform, uh, transform themselves into ministers of righteousness. Jesus said, by their what? Fruits ye shall know them. He says, do men gather grapes of thorns or figs of thistles? This is impossible, isn't it? Contrary to nature. It just doesn't happen. You don't go out here to a thistle bush and start gathering figs off of it or grapes. And so, neither do you. Uh, does the good tree bring forth uh, bad fruit or the, the bad tree bring forth good fruit? And he tells us, by your fruits that you shall know them. So, we find what he does here. And he also deceives with all power, now listen carefully, and signs 
and lying wonders. Signs are miracles. Do you know not all miracles are of God? In fact, there's a whole lot of them that are not of God. And, and he's, he tells us in Second Thessalonians, look at chapter 2 and verse 9, how that in the future, in a future time when he's fully revealed, it says, this wicked one is to be revealed. Verse 8 says, and then shall that wicked be revealed. This is Second Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 8. Whom the Lord shall consume with the spirit of his mouth and shall destroy with the brightness of his coming. When Christ comes again into the tribulation, he's going to destroy him. Now look, who is it? Even him whose coming is after the working of Satan with all power and signs and lying wonders. And what? And with all deceivableness of unrighteousness in them that perish because they receive not the love of the truth that they might be saved. And it says, And for this cause God shall send them strong delusion that they should believe a lie that they all might be damned or condemned who, what? Believe not the truth but had pleasure in unrighteousness. Turn over to the book of Revelation, if you will. And let's see if chapter 13. Let's begin with verse 11. There's one beast that in verse 1, a beast out of the sea, and here's one out of the earth. I beheld another beast coming up out of the earth, or the land, and he had two horns like a lamb, an imitator of Christ. Christ is the Lamb of God. But then his voice betrays him. He spake as a dragon. And he exercised all the power of the first beast before him, and causeth the earth and them that dwell therein to worship the first beast whose deadly wound was healed. Now look, verse 13. This is 13.13 of Revelation. And he doeth great wonders, so that he maketh fire come down from heaven on the earth in the sight of men, and deceiveth them, what does it say back there in Thessalonians? Deceiveth them that dwell on the earth by the means of those miracles which he had power to do in the sight of the beast, saying to them that dwell on the earth that they should make an image to the beast which had the wound by a sword and did live. We won't have time to go into all that exposition, but I just wanted to show you that his deception is sometimes by power and signs and lying wonders. And it certainly will be evident in the last time. Now let's give you something else. Uh, What are we to do about this situation? We're to resist the devil. The Bible says we're to resist him. I'll give you two references. Let's look at James chapter 4, verse 7, first of all. James 4, 7. It says, Submit yourselves therefore to God, resist the devil, and he will flee from you. James says you resist him, and he will flee from you. 1 Peter chapter 5, look at this. Verse 8 and verse 9. It says, Be sober, be vigilant. It means wide awake and alert and be ready to, to uh, fight Satan with all that is within you. Be sober, be vigilant, because your adversary, the devil, as a roaring lion, walketh about seeking whom he may devour. And what does it say in the next verse? We, we quote that part of the verse quite often, don't we? But then it says, whom resist steadfast in the faith. That's why we're going to see that armor in just a little bit. How we're to, to warfare, we're to continue in warfare against the enemy. Because it says, whom resist steadfast in the faith. Now look at this. Knowing that the same afflictions are accomplished in your brethren that are in the world. Look at that. You're not the only one that's in this battle. Notice what it says. Knowing that these same afflictions, this same battle is going on with your brethren in the world. Do you ever feel like, well, you know, I'm the only one that I have that has to fight against the devil? Or he's pretty strong at this time and he's giving you a lot of 
problems and you feel like you're alone in doing it, you know you're not. The fellow right next to you is doing the same thing. You know, each and every side of you. He's going through the same battle that you're going through. So, it tells us to resist them steadfast in the faith. And we'll get into that when we look at our equipment. Look now in Philipp- I mean Ephesians chapter 6, and we'll start talking about what we're to do. Let's read it again. Verse 10, Finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord. We need God's strength in, in order to fight against Satan. And it says, And in the power of His might, put on the whole armor of God, that you may be able to, to stand against the wiles of the devil. We've already discussed some of his tactics and the ways. Wiles means cunning arts and deceit and craft and trickery. He wants you to trick you into something. Prepare to defend, defend yourself against it. For we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, the powers of evil, against the rulers of the darkness of this world. It, he operates worldwide. He doesn't confine himself to one nation or one state or one uh, country or one hemisphere, one side of the world, but it's worldwide. The rulers of the darkness of this world against spiritual wickedness in high places. And then we pick up with verse 13 where it says, Wherefore, take unto you the whole armor of God. Notice it's God's armor that you're to put on. That you may be able to withstand in the evil day and having done all to stand. So we have to stand against all of these things. We have to have our feet on solid ground in order to stand. You know, did you ever try to stand on the side of the mountain where rocks are rolling and gravel and, and uh, brush and everything? It's pretty hard to stand on an un, in an uneven place. And uh, we have some mountains here that's hard to stand on. Some of you <laughs> experienced that. At least I know I have. So did my little brother. We walked around all these mountains. But anyway, to make a long story short, you have to have good solid ground. Remember in Psalm 73, I believe it was, where you found that uh, the psalmist said, uh, When I saw the prosperity of the wicked, my feet, uh, my steps almost slipped. He was like standing on glass or ice. He said he was on slippery ground. And then down in the middle of the chapter, he says, Until I went into the sanctuary of God, he didn't understand the prosperity of the wicked. But until he says, until I went, un, went into the sanctuary of God, then understood I therein what was happening to them. Then he said, surely thou didst set them in slippery places. He says, my feet were on solid ground all the time, but I felt like I was being thrown around because I saw the prosperity of the wicked. When we get our eyes upon the world around us and think, well, how does this fellow prosper when he's living so wicked and I'm trying to live right and I have a hard time? I mean, that's a question, isn't it? And we don't understand that. But then when he went into God's presence, he said, I understand now. There were slippery places and, and he understood their end and what was going to happen to them. And then he began to praise the Lord for his situation. You read that 73rd Psalm. It's a wonderful psalm. And about in the middle of it, you'll change courses from the downside of it to the upside of it, to the thankfulness that you will see there. All right. <clears throat> We're talking about, in our chapter here, 6 of Ephesians. And verse 14 says, Stand therefore, having your loins girt about with truth. The big belt, or the girdle, was put on to strengthen the body. And with truth, girdle of truth. Not only you be truthful, but you have a girdle of God's truth. Be established in the word of truth. Remember Jesus said, in I believe it's John chapter 17, where he said, Sanctify them through thy word. And then he says, thy word is truth. So the believers to be set apart, I believe, 
You might look, it might be about verse 17 or somewhere down there. John, John chapter 17 and... Yes, it is 17. Sanctify them through thy truth. Thy word is truth. So, uh, we have to be established in the word of God and not only have the word of truth, but to live according to that word. You know, if you're truthful, if you don't have a guilty conscience about something that you've been uh, guilty of and you're lying or you're on the wrong side of the truth, well, you have a lot more courage. That's why he says, put on the whole armor of God. It will give you more courage to stand if you've got your loins girt about with truth. You can stand right before him and know that you're truth. You're standing in truth. And then it says, follow on down. Hold your place in Ephesians 6 and we'll follow it on down. And having, it says, having on the breastplate of righteousness. The breastplate of righteousness. Now, the breastplate covered not only the front from, say, about the shoulders down. In fact, it hooked around the shoulders to hold it up. But it covered the back, too. You had protection against the devil's attacks from the front and the back. Just as God protected Israel of old from, the, from their going forward, He also went behind them with a pillar of cloud and fire. You heard me teach that the other night. And protected them from the back, from the onslaught that could come from that direction. And so here, the breastplate of righteousness. Isaiah 59, verse 17. Look at this. 59, 17 says, For he put on righteousness as a breastplate. Look. And an helmet of salvation upon his head. And he put on the garments of vengeance for clothing. And was clad with zeal as a cloak. Salvation like this is only from God. But he gives us the example. He put on Righteousness as a breastplate and a helmet of salvation upon his head. We're to put on these parts of the Christian armor. Back in Ephesians chapter 6. And notice, it says, And your feet shod with the preparation of the gospel of peace. Your feet shod. You have to have on a good... You have to stand on the faith and stand upon the word of God. And not only that, with the preparation of the gospel of peace, be able to carry it. As well, The gospel of peace gives us a good standing, doesn't it? And then it also gives us a responsibility to what? Give out that gospel is good news, isn't it? So we stand. Paul says, I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Christ. He said uh, when he was telling about his calling and about his uh, uh, determination, he said that I'm set. Listen, I'm set for the defense. They know in Philippians that I'm set for the defense of the gospel. We said one time that. Uh, most of our ordination certificates show that you're set for the defense of the gospel. And then not only set for it and have to stand on it and on the truths of it, but you, your feet are shod with the preparation of the gospel of peace so that we're prepared to give it out to others. And that should be our uh, duty. So we have a place to stand, a place to go with it. And it says, above all, this means a high priority, taking the shield of faith, We need the shield of faith to protect us against the onslaughts of Satan. A shield wherewith you shall be able to quench all the fire darts of the wicked. This protects you. And we need the shield of faith. It means uh, the faith of God's Word. Not only our personal faith, but it means we're standing in a place where we're contending for the faith which was once delivered to the saints. And we have a good standing in faith. And we have a personal faith as well. And so take that as a shield. Say, I put my faith in the Lord and in His Word. Faith cometh by what? Hearing. And hearing by the Word of God. So you have a, a good shield to protect you. And so when the devil starts accusing you, say, yes, but God's Word says this. And then let one of his fiery darts fly off. 
in every direction, see, and hold that shield in front of you. That'll protect you from all of his onslaughts. And so, that's what we need, is the shield of faith, wherewith ye shall be able to quench all the fiery darts of the wicked. And then what does it say? It says, and take the helmet of salvation. The helmet of salvation. You know, the head is the most vulnerable place, even more so than having the breastplate, the head and the heart. But the head is the way that Satan would like to attack us, and he can get a quick riddance of us in that way. But it says, take the helmet of salvation. You need protection. And salvation is that protection. God's gift of salvation. God gave you salvation. You didn't earn it. You didn't pay for it. You couldn't. It says, by grace are you what? Saved through faith. And that not of yourselves is a gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. And then Second uh, Timothy one nine, I believe it is. It says, who hath saved us, listen carefully, and called us with an holy calling, not according to our works, but according to his own purpose and grace. Second Timothy 1.9 So, we take the helmet of salvation, now look, and the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. We take God's, uh, the Holy Spirit's sword, which is God's Word. You know, when God gave us the Ten Commandments, it says, thou shalt not. You know, we don't have a government arguing a case that it's, that it's uh, not wrong to commit murder. We've got laws against murder, don't we? Where did it come from? It came from God's Word, didn't it? Thou shalt not kill. We've got laws against someone stealing or robbing. Why? Where did it come from? God's Word says, Thou shalt not steal. And so on and so forth. And right on down the line, the, the laws of our land are established upon the Word of God. And all the things you find that God condemns, they're condemned uh, and should be our nation condemns as well, are spoken of in the Word of God. So, the thing about it is, we have to understand that God's Word condemns sin in whatever form or fashion it may take. And so, all through the Bible, it's pointed out. Someone says, well, I'm free from the law. Listen, it says we're free from the law for righteousness to everyone that believeth. Do you get the impact of that? Romans chapter 10? I believe Brother Reed preached on that, didn't he, the other night. It says... That we're delivered from the law, law, and it says from righteousness. Look at Romans 10. Let me give it to you quickly. It says, for Christ is the, verse 4, for Christ is the end of the law for righteousness. You cannot become righteous by the law, but it doesn't say that he is the end of the law, period. But to obtain righteousness, he's the end of it, for righteousness to everyone that believes. So we're justified by faith and declared to be righteous in the sight of God, but all of God's law still condemns sin. So he didn't do away. He said, I came not to destroy the law, Jesus said, but what? To fulfill it, right? And he fulfilled it. And in Romans chapter 8 says, for what the law could not do, and it was weak through the flesh because we had all broken the law. God sending His own Son in the likeness of sinful flesh and for sin, a sacrifice for sin, condemned sin in the flesh that the righteousness of the law might be fulfilled in us who walk not after the flesh but after the Spirit. So Christ fulfilled it for us. And therefore we're redeemed from the curse of the law. Galatians 3 verse 13, Christ hath redeemed us from the curse of the law, being made a curse for us as is written, Cursed is everyone that hangeth on a tree. So he hung on the cross to redeem us from his curse and to establish and to give us substituted righteousness and also to continue to tell us that God's word is not done away with just because he came and God's law is not done away with. It's still wrong to kill, murder, still wrong to commit adultery, still wrong to covet, still wrong to steal, still wrong to bear false witness. All of the things that the law has given are 
wrong that he condemns. So we find that uh, the equipment we need then is what? Salvation. The helmet of salvation. Then take the sword of the Spirit. Look, the sword of the Spirit, that's what we're dealing with, which is the Word of God. So we take God's Word as our only... Notice all the other were defensive weapons and now and protection. But this is what? The offensive weapon. If we're going to go out, we have to use God's Word. And you say, as I do, that a lot of people won't accept it. That's true, they won't accept it. You'll find a lot of areas, though, where the Word will cut deeply and someone will listen. And the first thing you know, they'll say, well, you know God's Word. He told me that the Bible condemned this and that and the other. And the Bible also not only condemned my sin, but it offers me salvation because it says that whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. And that it says, in whom we have redemption through His blood, even the forgiveness of sins. Colossians 1 verse 14. So it tells us that we have redemptive blood of Christ so that we can be forgiven of all of our sins. What do we find then? That the Word of God is the sword of the Spirit. Now, think of it. The sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. Did you know that the devil uses the Word himself? But he's not Spirit-filled. So the the believer is to let the Holy Spirit help him to wield wield that sword. Have you heard people quote a scripture... And it didn't mean a thing to you because you could tell they were just quoting it and it didn't have any spiritual impact upon you at all. The devil did that to Jesus in the, in the temptation. Remember? He said, you know, it's written, if you'll jump off the pinnacle of this temple, uh, you'll not cast a foot against a stone, but he'll send his angels to bear you up. And Jesus said, it is written, thou shalt not tempt the Lord thy God. Right? He used the word in the proper sense and he was filled, the Bible says in Luke 4 and and Matthew 4 when he went into this temptation that he was led by the power of the Holy Spirit into the wilderness. And the Bible says that he came back out of the wilderness temptation in the power of the Holy Spirit. Did you know that? The Spirit led him in there. He was Spirit filled all the time he was in there. And when he came back, he came back triumphantly. And you'll find that in the verses. In, Matthew, in Mark chapter 4 and Matthew chapter 4. I believe it's... No, it's not Mark. It's Luke. It's Luke. I beg your pardon. You check it out. Luke 4, isn't it? Luke 4. Luke 4 verse 1 says, And Jesus, being full of the Holy Ghost, returned from Jordan and was led by the Spirit into the wilderness. Look at verse 14. And Jesus returned in the power of the Spirit in the Galilee. See that? Luke 1 in the... Uh, 4 verse 1 and 4 verse 14. And that you have much the same thing in a different way stated in Matthew's Gospel, chapter 4. In verse 1 it says, Then was Jesus led up of the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted of the devil. And then he came back in the same way and, and he preached, of course, to the ones that was before him. So take the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. And then it says... Praying always, look at this, verse 18. Praying always with all prayer and supplication in the Spirit. It'll be a, your spiritual praying will be not only the Holy Spirit dwelling in you and working in you, but it will be according to God's Word. You won't pray outside of the realm of the, the guidance of God's Word. John says, if we ask anything according to what? His will, He heareth us. And if we know that He hear us, we know that we have the petitions that we desire to be. In 1 John, I believe it's chapter 5. It says, praying always with all prayer and supplication in the Spirit and watching thereunto with all perseverance. You have to keep on. 
and supplication for all saints, all of God's children. You're to pray for one another, right? And then Paul says, and for me. Well, listen, if Paul needed, as an apostle, needed prayer for himself, what about you and I, feeble preachers today? As we are. Pray for me, and for me that utterance may be given unto me, that I may open my mouth boldly to make known the mystery of the gospel, for which I am an ambassador in bonds, that therein I may speak boldly as I ought to speak. And so Paul is telling us here how to face the enemy. We must fight. We have the equipment that we're to wear, and the energy that we're to use this, and it tells us that the Holy Spirit has to energize our efforts. Because we pray, in verse 18, with all prayer and supplication in the Spirit. And, and we take the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God, and go forth to battle against what? The wiles of the devil. So we have a good lesson here. and There's a lot of things I haven't been able to mention. But anyway, that will suffice on our Christian walk. And, and this is a Christian warfare that we studied tonight from chapter 6, verse 10 onward, is the Christian's warfare. And we are in a warfare. And listen, it's going to become more, more evident as days go by. And we're going to have to fight a harder battle as the days go by. We're just now beginning to face the little, little war on the edges. But it's going to get deeply involved before the Lord comes. And he said, wicked men and seducers shall wax worse and worse, deceiving and being deceived.